and welcome to the Allegory Story Podcast. My name is Melanie Nevis. And I am a very confused Tegan Aline. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) So we're talking about Arthurian legends. Oh my God. We've been talking about Arthurian legends. We've kind of already hinted to the fact that they're very convoluted and distorted and all really intertwine with each other, which makes it difficult to kind of pull one aspect Mm. apart and investigate that a little bit further. Yeah. It's like the story that you 100% know. And at the same time, you also know nothing about. And the further you investigate it, the further down that hole you will feel. Yeah. Or at least that's how I feel. (laughs) I feel like you've got a good handle on this. Like, thank God for you. Or the grail or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) I am not quite. I understand why so many people dedicate like literal academic study to this. It's like almost makes me want to cry. Yeah, their entire (laughs) lives are dedicated to this stuff, right? Yeah. Because they're just trying to make sense of it. But it gets really convoluted. It gets really, really convoluted. Super convoluted, yeah. Today we're going to be talking about the Holy Grail, which we know that Arthur and his knights kind of are in pursuit of the Holy Grail. And I mean, I always thought that Arthur and his knights were in pursuit of the Holy Grail. And then I started to do research and I realized it really has absolutely nothing to do with Arthur at all. (laughs) Yeah. Like it sounds like something that like, and it, I don't know, it kind of felt like that to me based on like the first, the, the beginning legends that we kind of investigate. And then you see the entrance of like the French uh, romantic writing and all of this stuff. You see there's like, you know, many, many hands in the Arthurian pie, as it were. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, all of a sudden, there's this whole like super Christian thing. And in a way, it's always just kind of felt imposed on the story to me. And I feel like in a way kind of was, but it's also very heavily and and intertwined with the the story as we know it now, seems like. It is. I, you know what, I I just think it's really kind of fascinating that we call them the Arthurian legends. And, you know, it is all about Arthur. He's kind of the central figure point that all of these stories revolve around. But there are so many other characters and side stories and quests that are pretty fleshed out that yeah like more fleshed out than his that more fleshed out than his stories like his stories we really see in in the very beginning legends and then like especially again especially with when we see with the french authors coming in or the french poets coming in it starts to really revolve around his knights and the round table Mm -hmm. and the quests and the chivalry and such yeah yeah So today we're going to be talking about the Holy Grail, and we're barely going to mention Arthur, I think. Which is fine. Which is fine. We we know, we know more or less. At this point, he's just a, he's just a jolly old king sitting on a throne and letting, letting the young boys do the, do the work, you know? Good for him. Good for him. Goals. (laughs) Yeah, really though. Really. I guess the first question is, what is the Holy Grail? Oh, well. (laughs) The Holy Grail. This is also a very convoluted topic in its own right. Traditionally, 
traditionally and in the context of this story, yeah, it's thought to be the cup that Jesus Christ drank from at the Last Supper and that Joseph of Arimathea used to collect Jesus's blood at his crucifixion. So remember, Joseph is Jesus's uncle and also the dude responsible for his burial. Um, and mm. he's the one that like apparently came over to Glastonbury afterwards. Yeah. Okay? It's so e- it's fair to say. Right? Yeah. 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 I think it's fair to say that the Holy Grail is an object of mystery and fascination, and it has been for centuries, and people have looked into this relic for as long as the stories came about. It's quite a cup. Um, It's quite a cup. Yeah. Quite a cup. (laughs) More than 200 goblets have been found in Europe alone, and they're claimed to be the holy relic, okay? (laughs) And some say that the cup rests in sewers of Jerusalem. Others believe that the Knights Templar and the medieval. Yeah. Oh my God. There's lots of, there's lots of conspiracy theories around the Holy Grail. So yeah, some believe that it's in the sewers of Jerusalem. Some believe that the medieval Knights Templar took the goblet from Jerusalem during the Crusades, secretly got it to the new world. And in the new world, it can be in, it's in places like Maryland to, to Mary, to Minnesota, to Nova Scotia. Some people believe it's hidden inside Fort Knox. So like quite the cup. Okay. Quite okay. the cup. <laughs> I vote for Nova Scotia. It'll never be found there. <laughs> like, Why do you love, say that? Well, love to my Nova Scotians, man. But nobody like, like you don't, well, people don't travel there so much. You know what I mean? So it's kind of they like. They should. It's gorgeous. It is freaking gorgeous. It's, and I I think it's, it's gorgeous. beautiful. I love it there. But you know, yeah. it's like less of a travel area. So in a way, it kind of like mm-hmm. there's still places that could be secret. That's what I'm trying to say about it is that there's uh, gotcha. still places that could be secret in a place like Nova Scotia. That's where I was trying to yeah. go with that. I have no hate. I love Nova Scotia. I think it's a beautiful place. <laughs> I've been dying to go. <laughs> you should. It was I so want nice. To. Oh my so, god! So nice. I don't even get me started on the East Coast. I could do like a whole hour just on how badly I want to visit the East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> um. So with all of these claims about the Holy Grail, I think it's safe to say that most historians, yeah, I would say most historians are very skeptical, and would actually say that there's no evidence that the Holy Grail actually exists, and certainly not in a cup. Because I know you have theories about the Holy Grail and like what you think the Holy Grail is. Well, well. I mean, like I, you know, whatever. I I like the Da Vinci Code version of the Holy Grail. <laughs> I don't care. I, listen, one thing that I have learned a lot over the last couple of months of looking into this is all of the coolest mystical pagan shit is relatively recent in terms of like the story arcs that have been created around it. And you know what? Like Mm -hmm. I'm for it. I would, I (laughs) love the theory that the grail was actually like Mary Magdalene and she like had their baby. Like it, it sounds like it makes more sense. Every time I hear these like alternative stories, I'm like, I'm sorry, but they, they sound like they fill in a lot of gaps that make a lot more sense. (laughs) Just generally based on what we know about people. And women. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Yeah. But also I know that there's like a lot of connections to the grail here in France and all of this. Oh, there's connections to the grail 
everywhere. That's the whole that, point. That's the thing Over you 200 keep, in Europe me. alone. <laughs> you said it to me like a few times. Like the grail is everywhere. It's like everything. And like, doesn't that make it? It makes sense actually. <laughs> so yeah, that, I mean, like I will admit, I haven't thought too deeply on, I don't get too deeply into the grail because ultimately it's a Christian relic. And I'm just like, like only sometimes interested in Christian relics. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, so what yeah. I will say, yeah, there's no evidence. There's no actual evidence for it. So I think like many historians are very skeptical of them, um, of these claims of a Holy Grail existing mm-hmm. because they are fact-based or like evidence-based, I will mm-hmm. say. Not even fact, like evidence-based. Um, and the cup only received a passing mention in the Bible and its religious significance didn't actually arise until these medieval legends that mm-hmm. entwined ancient Celtic myths with Christian tra- Christian traditions of this right. holy chalice used by Jesus at the Last Supper kind of came to be, right? So yes. like, it all gets very... Yeah, so I was reading a little bit about that and how if we look at like the historical backdrop of what was happening at the time when they were creating these stories about the knights and everything, we find ourselves in that period where like Roman Catholic Christianity is trying to kind of like assert its control. And Mm -hmm. I also read something about the fact that in and around that time, Christians were being exiled from Jerusalem and it's kind of what started the crusades is that they wanted to go like Mm -hmm. kind of like take the holy land back so that maybe so like maybe in some convoluted way the grail was kind of a representation of Jerusalem and the holy land in a holy grail yeah but like the, I guess, like, the, the whole idea of the Holy Grail, if you're going to trace it, it can't be linked back to pre-Christian, like, Celtic mythology. Oh, it's yeah. It's just that in those myths, it's not a, a chalice or a cup. It's it's a cauldron. Yeah. And I get, like, I also read something about the fact that, um, gosh, pulling this out of my brain is hard today. But I also read something <laughs> about the fact that, at the same time, so the, the Catholics are doing their thing. They're trying to assert themselves. And at, at this time is when anything related to pagan cultures or any religious beliefs that aren't Christian or Catholic is kind of being persecuted. So some of these authors come forward and, like you said, they're like blending mm-hmm. these two stories together. They're putting, they're kind of putting the Christianity into the stories so that the story can be maintained um, without otherwise it would have probably been destroyed at that period of time. So we still get to keep a bit mm-hmm. of the story, but now it has this like really, really Catholic or Christian overtone. But I think that's really interesting that you're saying the grail would have been considered a cauldron because the cauldron's like a huge symbol symbol in like Welsh tradition, at least I know. Yeah. So in Celtic mythology, one of the myths that they that historians kind of think has been pulled from um it's like a cauldron was the cooking implement of pre-roman celts so yes celtic mythology and when you look at that you're looking at something that you're able to make food in that is 
automatically associated with nourishment and then nourishment gives you life. So nourishment and life-giving powers are kind of imbued in a cauldron being a cauldron alone. And Celtic mythology has cauldrons all over the place. And one of the most famous is with the goddess uh, Caridwin. Mm -hmm. And to make a long story short, in the story of Taliesin, Taliesin, I'm not sure. Oh, I wish I I I could say with confidence, but we're not there yet. (laughs) No. Maybe maybe in the new year. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully. Um, Caridwin cooks a potion to make her ugly smart her ugly son smart so no one notices his looks and no one notices <laughs> that he's ugly. Yeah. But he never gets to drink it cuz the boy that's brewing the potion is burned by the liquid and then without thinking he just kind of puts his finger in his mouth, right? It's a very human thing where you're like, "Ow," and you put it in your mouth. Yeah. Um and he licked his sore f- finger and in doing so, the potion actually affected him. And so he's ingesting all of this knowledge of the world. And he became Taliesin, a bard who's really well known for his wisdom. Yes. And then that is thought by some to be the precursor to Merlin. Right. Yeah. It makes a lot of, it makes a lot of sense. And I actually read that too in, I haven't finished the book yet, but the Welsh witchcraft book by Mara Starling. I I read the story in there. Um, And uh, that I, I mean, yeah. again, it all it all kind of makes sense given where everything would have came would have come from, right? Well, yeah, and there's also like stories of this cauldron of rebirth, and the Grail is supposed to give you like a long life and youthfulness and all this stuff. So a cauldron of rebirth kind of mimics the same mm. sort of thing. They just made um, it portable, so it's like easy to yeah. move around from vision to vision because it never actually like materialized. <laughs> it's like a it's like a physical even though there's been 200 physical grails i feel like yeah in the renditions of the arthurian legends that i read around the grail it was always like a vision actually it was a vision mm-hmm. up until up until the knights decided to accept the accept the um task of bringing it back to the to a to a place that was worthy of it and then it actually manifested mm-hmm. into like physical form but ultimately yeah. it's kind of just a vision that all of a sudden these people just like all these men sitting around a table just see <laughs> and then they're like oh they see. I, they see the vision i have to go after this cup <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the i guess I'm the it. it makes the it so much way more sense if it's a woman i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> the quest for the holy grail kind of came into its written form Mm -hmm. with our good friend Chrétien de Troyes. Um, And he created this story of the Grail, or Percival, which was written around 1180. And then Robert de Boron, Robert de Boron, I don't know if he's French or not, Robert de Boron, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's Or Robert de Boron. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. God, that's gonna make me cough laugh <laughs> but for like legitimately though yeah like for real <laughs> um <Okay. clears throat> a little later around the year 1200 this guy <laughs> this guy yeah, yeah he created a poem named joseph d'arimathie 
So Joseph mm-hmm. of our, our Aramathia, Aramathia, I forget. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, and in this poem, he like really digs into the Christian significance that mm. was like there, but like it was a little lighter. He really like made it super Christian mm. um, and cited the Holy Grail's origins at the Last Supper and Christ's death. So until mm. until this poem came about, that of- wasn't mentioned in the story. Yeah, it was kind of neither here nor there, was it? No. Yeah, yeah. it was. It was not. So with that, the Holy Grail then became a really popular theme in medieval literature and stories about it were read and recited all over Europe. And I've kind of already mentioned it, but like some Arthurian tales claim that Joseph of Arimathea brought the Grail to Glastonbury in England. And Mm -hmm. one legend has it that the spot where he buried the Grail, wherever that is, the water runs red because it it travels through Christ's blood. Scientists have just said that it's the effect of red iron oxide in the soil. <laughs> that makes sense. The soil is quite iron rich in a lot of places yeah. in Europe, like actually. So I, I feel like. Yeah. And I think it's just in the days when we didn't have science or the level of science that we did do now, we would try and create explanations for things. And so if you are religious and you have these stories being given to you then you're gonna be like well yeah it must be read because christ's blood like this is where it's buried it has to be right because you're just trying to find explanations for things that are unexplainable and you don't have the answer to it's true i think even today i've seen a few of like those overhead shots of those rivers that go super red and it's because there's something in the river it's like a certain algae Mm -hmm. or something at the time but man Seeing that in the Middle Ages, that you'd want to find a, some type of explanation for that, I guess, because otherwise yeah. it does just look like blood. You know, <laughs> like if that's your yeah, frame it's of a little bit of a mind fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus did it. Um. Yeah. I'm coughing so much this morning. My goodness. Um. That's okay. <laughs> you, do you have a little cold? I think it's just morning and I have a lot of phlegm to be perfectly honest. It's winter. Basically. It's winter and I just deep sound like winter. an older man in the morning. Maybe. It's not deep winter yet. That's the sad and scary part. Well, maybe if you're really <laughs> lucky after this podcast, you will go into your bathroom and find a beautiful grail and you can take a drink from that grail and it's going to make all your phlegm come up and you'll be able to spit it out. Listen, if I had the grail, I would hope for oh, a lot more than just getting rid of I feel of my like phlegm. I'm going to hell just for saying that immediately. I was like, too blasphemous, Tegan, too blasphemous. Like, take, it more, take it more seriously. I swear the Catholic guilt is <laughs> runs so deep sometimes. Aww. Like no, say, it's fine. I can't even say. I can't even make a grail joke. <laughs> you feel guilty for that? A little. Oh, dear. A little, I know. I told you, I'm tired. <laughs> like, Brainwashed you young. Oh my God, so <laughs> real, so real. Church is a thing. Anyway. <laughs> um. So yeah, uh, you know, yeah, some people believe it went to Glastonbury. Some people believe the Knights Templar. Which was a medieval order that like protected p- 
pilgrims traveling to the Holy Land seized the grail from Temple Mount during the Crusades and, and secreted away it away. So like, you know, there's a bunch of theories about where the hell it is. Yeah. So I actually read um, a version because, you know, like we've established it already. There's multiple versions of this of, of this story. But I read a version where um, actually it's weird because it was in one story, but the two did not really make sense actually so that there was a king that was kind of like the um he was like the four like joseph of arimathea was like his forefather or like his forebearer so like from his family and had passed the grail on to this king and in the one story it gets presented to i think it was like lancelot percival and then this other knight sir worse I think it is I never read about Lancelot being in these stories yeah that's so interesting I I've I've but I've also oh I'm saying Lancelot I'm sorry I think it was Galahad my bad I, oh I it was Galahad of, yeah I kind yeah, of yeah, interchanged yeah, okay. them I know they're father technically like father and son but but this is what's confusing me at somewhere in the story I read that Lancelot and Galahad could be interchangeable and then same with Percival and Galahad so I got confused anyways Three of these knights, they see the vision of the grail. And Galahad's supposed to be like the most purest, bestest knight of all knights. Yeah, this way is better. the later version. Yeah, way better than his philandering father anyways. And that they're supposed to take the grail to a place in Turkey, actually. As it's Oh, I don't know about the specifics of that. Yeah. So the, anyways, the original stories aren't so specific with where they this. go where it's supposed to go yeah 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 so when does this later version come down the pipe then do we know or do you know well there With is the, a later guy? version in the 13th century called quest of the holy grail mm-hmm. and it it differs from chrétien de troyes story in that mm-hmm. galahad is the major hero oh. so like okay should i do chrétien de troyes first yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the first one is called The Story of the Grail. Chrétien de Troyes wrote it. It was probably uh, composed between like 1180 to 90 in the common era. And he makes Percival rather than Arthur the hero of this story. Okay. And Percival is not the kind of knight that you're used to. He is really brave. He's like a very brave young man, but he's kind of dumb. Oh. <laughs> okay. He's not really smart. He mm-hmm. and his his chivalry and um his just naivete, I guess, play oh. really big parts in his journey. Okay. So when the story begins, Percival is living alone with his mom in a place called the Waste Forest. And he is the only child to a single mom because his dad and his brothers were all killed while they were serving as knights. Oh, burn. So all of his, all of the other men in his family were knights. But Percival, Percival's mom is so scared to lose the last family member, the last son she has left that she doesn't actually tell him about any of this. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want to lose him. And she's scared that if he learns the truth, He'll want to be a knight and he'll get himself killed too. Okay. So mom's plan works for a while. 
until Percival's probably about 15 or so. He's out hunting and he comes across five glittering figures on horses. And his mom hid all of this so well from him that he It's not thinks hard when your kid they is dumb, are. I guess. Yeah. He thinks that they're angels, Aww. right? Because they're all shiny, like they're wearing. And again, this is written in a time where the full suit of armor kind of started to be and you start to get an idea of what knights mm. should be, that romanticized Knight version of what knights armor. should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he thinks that they are angels and realizes after talking to them that they aren't, but he asks the knights a ton of questions that most people would probably know the answer to, like, what are you carrying? And the knight would be like, well, it's just a lance. Like most people would know something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so Percival is not making the best impression on the knights, mm -hmm. but he runs home. I know he runs home, tells his mom all about them. And she very quickly realizes where this is headed, breaks down and tells him the truth. And just like it's bawling and saying your father and your brothers were knights and they died because of it. And mm. his eyes just light up. And he's, again, not so smart. So he doesn't really get the moral of the story and just says, I don't really get what you're saying, but I'm going to go to the king who makes knights and I'm going to go no matter what. Like, I'm super stoked about this. What? So he goes off what? on his quest. I don't get it. I'm just going to go, ma. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, they look so cool. I don't really get what Sparkly. you're trying to get at telling me that everyone died. But like, I'm super excited wow. about this. So I'm going to go. Wow. I've met people like that in my life. I have to admit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he goes off on his quest never to see his mother again. And right out of the gate, he gets into a fight with a knight, but he defeats him in solo battle. So like, maybe he's got some sort of heroic talent after all. And shortly after, he encounters an old nobleman. And in classic spiritual advisor fashion, oh, Jesus. this old man teaches Percy a lesson, which is don't talk too much because you don't want to offend others. Okay. So That's he takes this to heart. Yeah, he takes this to heart. But it kind of comes back to bite him. Uh-oh. <laughs> Next, Percival continues on his way, and the next person he meets is the Fisher King. He he uh, takes a real liking to Percy mm -hmm. and invites him to a special banquet at his castle. And oh. at dinner, Percival finds out the king has been grievously wounded and is basically on death's door. And the Fisher King, even though he is wounded and it's like pretty much dying, presents Percival with a sword. And he claims was destined for him. Okay. And all of a sudden, the doors open and a bunch of squires come in with all of these weird objects. So there's a white lance dripping with blood on, like, the tip of it, mm. a candelabra, Ooh. and then a maiden enters bearing a beautiful grail. Bitch! The holy grail. Bitch! <laughs> bearing a grail in her uterus? No, anyway. No. no. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. For real. Oh, but come on. No wonder. That story basically wrote itself. You know what I mean? Okay. So she comes in. She's carrying the Holy Grail. And everyone turns and looks at Percival. But he remembers the weird old stranger's advice. Oh, and he yeah. doesn't say a thing about okay. any of these instruments that have just come in. He just stays 
completely I quiet. I did that once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so dinner wraps up and Percival goes on his way and everything is fine. But then he sees a woman that is crying and cradling the body of a headless knight. And Percival's like, what happened? What happened? But she turns around and looks at him and is like, furious oh god yeah very very pissed with him and asks point blank did you say anything about the lance you saw did you ask any Why questions about on the it trail? yeah and he's like no of course not and she's like that grail has great power if you'd only asked about it just one question the dying king would have been healed and okay. then she continues to tell him your mom's dead I buried her. I'm your cousin. Also, you got to suss out this grail thing, but you're on your own, so good luck. Wow. Whoa. Boom, (laughs) boom, boom. Yeah. Damn. So this is kind of a turning point for Percival, and he swears an oath that he won't rest until he learns exactly what the deal with the grail is and the bleeding lances. And this is basically the start of his grail quest, which lasts for five years. And he has some crazy adventures and he meets knights and fights in battles and um, learns a lesson about the meaning of Good Friday. So like it is still a Christian version. This is still a very Christian version. It gets more Christian Christian later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Eventually, Percival comes across a hermit and after years of questioning things with nothing to show for it, he confesses his sorrow and is really upset about it. And the hermit knows why Percival has failed. And he says, remember your mom? As soon as you left home, she died of grief. And this sinfulness is why you never asked about the lance or the grail. Oh. And the man who was served from the grail, like the man, the fisher king, the man who died, was Percival's cousin so he was just letting family down all over the place but had no idea had no idea because he's dumb he's like oblivious Mm. and so this hermit tells him you need to do penance go to mass have faith in god uh, take communion on easter and that's where the story ends that's where the original story ends percival learns the truth about the grail and fulfills his oath in that respect because now he knows the truth of it but the grail never becomes the ultimate boon and he doesn't find it and you know he i don't even necessarily know that he's looking for the grail or if he's just looking for knowledge because that's where the story ends and you're like does he ever find it does it no longer matter anymore he was just looking to figure out what it was all about um and so christianity's wrapped up in it but yeah he never actually gets the grail but it has and it has the classic like notes of an old like story. You know what I mean? Like it's it doesn't mm-hmm. really follow a set arc. It's kind of like all over the place. Other than the I mean, fact that he's like a bit does oblivious. Follow a hero arc in a way. It does a kind failed of failed hero, hero, I guess. Sort of. Like at the end, he does find the knowledge that he seeks. But like mm. It's it's a weird roundabout way. What's the like, lesson that if you seek knowledge, you'll kill your family? <laughs> I don't know. Nec- well, no, the the lesson because like Christianity gets wrapped up into this. 
So remember, like, you need oh, to do penance. Go to Mass. Go have to faith mass. in God. Right. Uh, communion on Easter. The reason that the, the reason that the Grail hid itself from Percival was because he ended up letting down his family. Yeah. So those are really Christian lessons, aren't they? Though, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So moral of the story there. Poor Percival. I kind of feel yeah. bad for the guy. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, he was walking around being dumb and everybody was, nobody was like, hey, just be less dumb, man. You know? Yeah. He's not the sharpest lance in the armory. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> I got to clap quietly, but that was good. <laughs> I appreciate it. That's such a dad joke. That's a huge dad joke. I'm going to tell Michael later. He'll love that one. <laughs> okay, so that's like the original or like the first. That's the, the original. That's the first time that a written form of the Grail story came to be. Okay. So how does that compare with Galahad? Because that Ooh. came up. That's the next story where it's like no longer Percival that's the hero. It's Galahad. Yeah. Well, I think, again, I think we see a lot of this in these stories where like characters kind of morph. They kind of shift. They come in and out. You know what I mean? Because I never knew anything about Percival in relation to this these Arthurian legends that being said I didn't know a lot about them before I started so maybe that's mm -hmm. why but for me I always knew about Galahad I always knew about Lancelot and the different like variations of that whole scenario so um yeah how do, how does it differ and like where and like who makes it different are like are we dealing with the Mr. Mallory man here his name Thomas um I'm probably I don't know. It's a 13th own. century prose romance called Quest of the Grail, and it's an anonymous author. And that's kind of like the next one. I think, yeah. And and we have no mm -hmm. idea who wrote it, right? Nope. And we assume it's probably some kind of monk or something. Yeah, they're the, the ones who wrote stuff down, right? Yeah, it would make sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's where we go next. Yeah. And let's keep in mind Percival didn't actually know much about Christianity until like towards the end of his story where all of a sudden True. he's like in it he learns the meaning of Good Friday and, and then the hermit tells him all of this stuff that he should do to be a good Christian. Maybe that's why he struggles or he suffers you know if it's a Christian yeah, story. Yeah. yeah. This is really different from Galahad. Okay. Galahad is like the model of Christian virtue. Yeah, actually, he is, isn't he? He's like born in, out of a dicey yeah. situation, but yeah, but he's he's like he's stunning. Galahad is gorge. <laughs> okay, gorge, he's absolutely gorgeous. He's a good boy, and, but he's he's also a virtuous virgin. Yes, yeah, has no lust in him. Very no opposite to his Never dad. even had a sexual thought. Yeah. Which is really wild when you think about it, when you think about it, where he came from. But I guess also it's not because kids don't have to be their parents. Lance a lot. Yeah. No, 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 no. He probably was just like, hmm, I should not do that. Yeah. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> so 
do we know the story of how he okay so the version that i read kind of takes like characters from the the version that you just told um Mm -hmm. where lancelot disappears after his uh because he was in love with guinevere he disappears he ends up in this kingdom and the king there like he helps the king so the king rewards him by giving him his daughter but he's not in love with her his daughter he still loves Guinevere but they still have a son and that's how Galahad gets born in the version that I read which I'm understanding now maybe is like the later version so do we know of another version of that I think in the original like in 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 like original calling the original air quote air quotes here because you know (laughs) So weird. Um, it's it's that uh, Galahad's virtue automatically marks him out for a special role, and he's guided by a spiritual guide who introduces Galahad to Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. So he's not actually introduced uh. by Lancelot, uh, but mm-hmm. he gets a special seat reserved for the Grail Knight, and it's called the Seat of Danger, which is just a funny name. Yay. <laughs> So he sits in this danger chair and kind of announces that he's going to take up the grail quest. (laughs) And that's, that's the introduction though. It's just like, because Galahad is so virtuous, uh, he's just guided by like the spiritual guide. And the the one thing I have noticed is as the stories come further and further down the line into the more and more modern era, what I notice is that the, the relations get closer People are cousins, mm-hmm. people are brothers, people are yeah. this, people are that. Which, I mean, ultimately, probably, again, would make sense if you're trying to make sense of a story like this. But oftentimes, while looking through all of these different variations, I feel like, have you ever seen The Labyrinth with David Bowie? Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the end where the girl is like looking for Toby and they're in this abstract universe with all these stairs? <laughs> And yeah. she sees Toby and then she tries to chase him and then he's gone and he's like somewhere else. Like, this is the way that I feel like every Arthurian story starts and ends until we get into the more modern times. Like, tell me that's not an accurate. That's, that's totally accurate. Okay, yeah. So, so they are often not like full stories as we would consider stories now they're like written as poems so I feel like there's a lot that's left to interpretation almost Uh maybe it was supposed to be in the way that people would sing these poems that what was actually happening would be conveyed yeah I don't know I get it like it, Um, it does make sense and we see it we see it in indigenous indigenous storytelling in North America as well um that you know like stories don't follow the the kind of pattern that we're used to and it's fine (laughs) it's just I really wasn't expecting it with these ones stupidly obviously (laughs) stupidly personally I was thinking like it's gonna (laughs) all make sense but no (laughs) no the second version of the story I I'm slightly confused by like I know that it's even more overtly Christian Christian yeah and it connects the grail all of a sudden to the doctrine of transubstantiation which is the change of bread and wine to the body and blood of Christ during communion. Oh, 
Oh, transubstantiation. Okay. Transubstantiation. Yeah. That sounds like an alchemist word. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it is alchemy, right? It's the it change is, of right? like, yeah, it's the it change is. of bread and wine to body of and blood of of Christ during communion. So, like, I know that the second version of the story is more linked to that. I have a funny story but, about that, but maybe for another time. <laughs> It's a little more convoluted, but like, do you want to do your version, your slightly later version in that case? Because I feel like it's probably going to be more flushed out than this anonymous tale. I feel like I've kind of said most of it already. Yeah, that's bits, fair. In bits and pieces throughout this podcast. So essentially, <laughs> essentially, yeah. like Galahad ends up going with two other knights. Um, mm-hmm. He gets this, he goes to sing, see... King Pelé, I'm going to say, spelled P-E-L-L-E, accent aigu, which is the accent going to the, <laughs> up to the left, right? Listen, I just did a French test. I learned it. I'm going to share it. S. Accent aigu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, or the, the Fisher King. He goes yeah. there and that is supposed to be based on this story that he's, that Lancelot had this king's married this king's daughter or was with this king's daughter for a time and had Galahad. He's now returning home to his family in search of the grail because his grandfather was the bearer of the grail um, mm. generationally because his ancestor was Joseph of Arimathea. Arimathea, thank you. Yes. And so he Galahad goes there with these two other knights, Percival and Force, I think it is. And um, there he's presented, sounds very similar to what you said, presented with a sword that has been shattered into Mm -hmm. three pieces. And when he's presented with the sword, he touches it and the sword comes together. And he has this grand vision of the grail and the grail basically in his vision, he understands that actually uh, Britain is not worthy like God is telling him that Britain is not worthy of the grail. And so they have to take the grail and move it to, um, I think it was a place called Sarah in in Turkey. And so um, he sees this vision. He tells, he tells them this is what they're going to do. And, and his grandfather decides, yes, he is, he is the one that is actually going to do the grail justice and bring it to where it needs to go. So Basically, the three of those knights go back to their ship and all of a sudden the the grail manifests on the ship. And instead of returning to Camelot, they decide to go and take the grail to where it's supposed to belong. And once it's there, it kind of like dissipates and goes to heaven where no man could ever touch it again. And then from this, this version that I read, basically, it was like Percival, which is interesting from what you said, Percival is very moved by the whole experience and he goes and to the woods and becomes a hermit Hmm. Galahad because he had a grand vision from God and he fulfills his duty to God dies yeah very shortly after and um the other guy (laughs) is the only one that retells can go back to Camelot and kind of retell the story that's like the version that I read which okay. seems to be the middle ground in between the first version and maybe like the last one. I guess. Yeah. Or okay. So the original is kind of interesting. The, the, the quote unquote original version is kind of interesting or like 
the anonymous version, I should say. Um, because yeah, the three of them set out like Boris Galahad and Percival, they set out on a self-sailing ship somehow. I don't know how it's a self-sailing ship, but apparently it is. Yeah. 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 Takes them to a small Island where they find a magic sword and Percival's sister. And she says, the sword is actually for Galahad, not for you, Percival. Sorry. You got to take this to the house of the maimed King. And it takes five years of running around And in these five years, they have adventures together, they separate, they come back together, and like, you know, it's it's a whole thing. Um, Eventually, the three of them arrive at this maimed king's castle, Castle Corbinic, and the maimed king doesn't have a name, it's just the maimed king. And inside the castle, they find Jesus. Oh, actually Jesus. (laughs) They find Jesus. In the version that I was just telling you, Corbinic is where that king lives. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. so yeah, it's okay. the same right. place, but this king just doesn't have a name. It's just he's known as the maimed king. Right. Okay. I get it. So inside they find Jesus who tells them of the mystery and significance of the grail. And in the bowl from which Jesus Christ ate of the lamb on Easter day with his disciples, this is the bowl which has served acceptably all those whom I found serving me. This is the bowl which no faithless man ever beheld without suffering for it. And because it is thus served all manner of people acceptable, it is properly called the Holy Grail. Now thou hast seen what thou hast, what thou hast desired to see and what thou hast coveted, says Jesus to them. Um, <laughs> so Galahad continues on his adventure to travel the land instead of returning home. And he ends up locked up in a dungeon where he eventually dies and is miraculously lifted to heaven. Bors is left to return to Camelot and tell everyone the true wonder of the grail. Doesn't really specify like what Percival's up to in this, but... <laughs> You know, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I didn't know about. But He's just dropped honest, out. <laughs> but I'll, I'll be honest, though, the French people seem to know who he is. So I feel like that story still holds on around here because Michael knew. Oh yeah, for exactly sure. Who Percival was? I'm sorry. I just yeah. did a quick, quick, quick Google search for like where is yeah. Corbinic, and I guess the idea is that it's somewhere in Wales. But I can't help but think this king that comes however this king comes into play and the fact that he's called the fisher king but i guess technically like the celtic coast is the celtic coast i don't know i just feel like there's something in here giving me some um Brittany vibes somewhere but i have no proof of that it's just a it's just a guess or a feeling. well it's kind of like what we talked about at the very beginning like the the idea of this holy cup or chalice yeah it's true kind of has some links based on the areas that these stories are based in some links to like Celtic myth and mythology. So it's not surprising that it gives you that feel. And Arthurian legends are often linked to places in Wales. Yeah, for sure. And I think too, there's also like, you know, Brittany is like a huge, it's the Celtic coast of France. And there's, we see early references of Brittany in um, Arthur's legend, right? Yeah, he gets sent or somebody gets sent. Yeah, he goes away and hides there for a time or or no, it's not him. It's Uther Pendragon's uh, brothers that end up going there for and Uther Pendragon. Anyways, there's references. They're there. 
There's um I just want to make I know I'm trying to make sense of something that can't make sense and it's really frustrating to my Well, yeah, there's just no proof for anything, right? So it's just you're 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 trying to collect stories and kind of put them in order to the best of your ability and you're able to see how they change and like even just in the decade between Chrétien de Troyes version and then this anonymous version when that came out in like those few decades the, the anonymous version, yes, Chrétien de Troyes ends with like this Christian morality tale, but the anonymous version just starts out from the get-go. Like Galahad is, is virtuous. He's a virgin. He doesn't yeah. have lust. And that's what brings him there in the first place. It's really and, interesting actually to see, you can actually see Catholicism kind of taking over through the stories. Yeah. But I actually do think given... This is one of the things I was thinking about earlier today. Like I said earlier in the podcast, a lot of these more pagan versions of these stories come out in more modern eras because listen, that's when it was safe to explore that stuff up until mm -hmm. for a long time it, it wasn't. And um, it almost makes sense that you would start putting some Christian stuff into like a heavily Celtic story to, to just be able to preserve it in some way. You know what I mean? So I kind of get why yeah. they did it. Like I boo Catholic church, but like, yeah, I get why you guys did that. That was probably. Well, the it's only a way to also <laughs> it's well, it's the way to convince people that there is a commonality mm. and then eventually everyone becomes some sort of Christian, which is right. what happened for the most part. <laughs> Yeah, right? pretty much. So, <laughs> I'm um, happy to you were live mentioning in a, a modern era where we've diverged deeply. That's great. Yeah, you you had mentioned uh, Brittany, and a couple years ago in Eurovision, the France submission. I forget the name of the group, but oh they gosh. sang in the language of Britons. Oh, they, oh, their really? song, like their submission, was sung in. Awesome. The language of was Britain's. It, was it good? Which is was it a folk song? I liked it. Yeah, I liked it. Cool. It was cool. Also, I looked up the meaning of the song, and it's all about. It is like a very, like Celtic inspired, like women having the spark of life and joy and stuff. Were they like that. Were, were there women dancing with those cool hats? No. Oh, in Brittany, I don't, I don't so. know a lot about the culture there. And I would, it's one of those things I really would love to just like go and explore it. But I, one thing I do know, thanks to Michael's grandparents, because they used to have like a little cottage there and they would go there all the time because his grandpa was obsessed with the sea because he used to work in, <laughs> on the sea. Um, but yeah, they have still quite a local like folk culture represented and they have these really mm -hmm. interesting costumes where the women they wear these hats but they're kind of like it's almost like a band that gets tied around their head but the top part here it's really long it's like I you you can't see this if you're hearing me but it's like this long and it's was that like a foot yeah like I don't know maybe not a foot maybe like half foot maybe but it's all of it looks like paper almost but it's this and lace it's like this really beautiful mm. lace headdress it's so so pretty cool. and I Michael's grandma actually has one like in a display in in one of the rooms in their house and because they're very fine and delicate but all of the women will wear those and they're they're almost like these kind of like crowns almost and they'll go and they'll do like these dances and things like that 
It's very neat. Cool. Yeah, I don't know much about it, but it's definitely like on my list of things to learn about while I live here. Which is gonna yeah, be forever. I mean, so lots of time. The reason, yeah, <laughs> the reason that that submission stood out to me is because like they were singing, and I'm like, this isn't French. And I'm like, they're yeah. from France. Why aren't they singing in French? Oh, French. Yeah. And then I was just like, oh, they're singing in the language of Britons. And then I forgot that, yeah, the north of France has quite intense ties to Celtic stuff. Yeah, well. their culture is pretty, like, they have a very individual, like, they've managed to maintain, like, a Celtic culture that's not just, like, individual to France, but, like, individual to the Celtic cultures as well mm-hmm. like it, it's it's its own thing it's really cool very interesting it's really really and cool little interesting little interesting unknown fact is that a majority of the people who came from france to canada to settle are actually descendants of people from Brittany. a lot of oh, the people, really a lot of the people that migrated over to canada and to the east coast and to nova scotia and all of that are like their ancestry is Britain. Oh, is that why their French is so fucked up? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but also, if you think about the fact that the Britons, like, have their own language. So, yeah, no, no, yeah. no, I just mean, like, <laughs> Quebecois French is, like, very, mm, it's oh, not we're great. Talking, we're talking Acadian, man. Like, absolutely. I know. There's definitely, there's definitely links yeah. in all of that. It's quite it's, interesting. It's, you know what happens? You know what happens in a lot of places is like in, in an original country, language kind of continues to evolve. And for the people that have immigrated from those countries, they kind of hold on to the language that they know and retain that. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of becomes stuck in this fragment of time. Oh, cool hat. That's it kind of becomes stuck. See, it's <laughs> in this. <laughs> Sorry, side note. In this fragment of time, I would say that's like a foot and a half, maybe. Yo, her it's hair really is up inside of that thing. I'll yeah, that's to... at least a foot tall. I'll post this like photo on social media. It's pretty photo. Yeah, but like, yeah, they're the headdresses are are wild, wild, wild. wild. <laughs> Look at that's a group of women wearing them. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, those are really tall. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we should get back to the Grail. <laughs> Brittany is really cool. Well, I think that I think that we've basically wrapped it. Like that's basically the story, or like those are some of the more original stories of the Grail. I don't know that there's much more to say. Both of them kind of follow, you know, hero arcs, uh, but they're a little untraditional. I don't necessarily know. There's probably many stories of the Grail, but these are like the most famous ones pertaining to art. Yeah, like they kind of really took the Grail and made it this, this, this really this thing that we still talk about today because it kind of made its way into these stories. So yeah, and I think for both both of them, the quest is never actually about finding the Grail itself. It's always about finding the meaning of the grail right trying to find the meaning and i don't necessarily know that that meaning is ever actually said in any of these stories the grail remains this elusive mystery it's like oh it can give you forever young life and it can do all of these like magical wonderful things but like eternal youth and whatever but it's never actually explicitly the significance of it is never really outlined for you 
Which, again, if it was a woman, that would make a lot of sense because they still haven't figured <laughs> us out anyways. Just kidding. <laughs> Just being a little saucy. But I, re- I very much really like that interpretation, and I think it kind of makes a lot of sense. But, again, it's just an interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> so do with it what you will, guys. This is the, this is the random eight versions of the whole trail. No, it wasn't eight. It was like yeah. three or four, but it was a lot. It was like three, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But we would love yeah. to hear from you guys if you've heard another version in – relation to Arthur which I feel like that could be possible um yeah (laughs) please uh let us know let us know what you think about this what you thought about this episode um as we explore the never-ending story of the Arthurian (laughs) you're making it sound like you just want it to be over Like a little in a way, like I, I'm just like, I don't know why my brain is just really struggling to make it make sense. And I think that's probably why I feel that way. It's really cool. I I like really enjoy the stories, but I'm also like, I feel like I'm getting pulled in more directions than I can handle with it sometimes. But it's really fair, good, though. but it's really good. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, guys, uh, look for us on social media at the allegory story podcast. Uh, also feel free to email us with ideas or suggestions or whatever at the allegory story podcast at gmail.com. And am I forgetting anything? I don't think so. No. Okay. No. All right. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. And we're going to be exploring a really fun topic on the next episode. So keep your ears open. Stay tuned for that. Yeah.